Chapter 2. Conversation is the point. Our failure to hear God has its deepest roots in a failure to understand, accept, and grow into a conversational relationship with God, the sort of relationship suited to friends in a shared enterprise. Dallas Willard. When I was growing up, my dad taught me to sail our small sunfish sailboat. We took month-long summer vacations, and we always camped on lakes so we could challenge the wind every day. I probably sailed with my dad for a 100 hours before I took the boat out on my own. My dad would have me handle either the sail or the rudder. Of our many hours sailing together, I bet his actual instruction time totaled an hour, two at the most. He might say, pull in the sail a bit, or turn a little more to the left. Yeah, I know, starboard and port, but my dad didn't care much about terminology. Those short comments took mere moments to say, and dad didn't make them often. Mostly, we just sailed together for hours and hours. And bit by bit, gust by gust, wave by wave, I learned to sail. Instead of instructing, Dad mostly just chatted, and there's a huge difference. Continual lectures sink relationships. Conversations buoy them up. So we talked. Dad would ask what I wanted to be when I grew up. I'd say, a pirate, of course, and he'd heartily agree, yo-ho-ho. He'd ask why I had yelled at my sister, and I'd ask why he got angry at my mom. We'd talk about which books we were reading, what sermons he was preparing, what it would be like to sail across the ocean, why we felt certain emotions, and which girls I found interesting. Then when I was 10 years old, my dad looked at me and said, go on, take her out by yourself. The waves were large. The wind seemed especially strong. My mom was terrified, and I loved it. I took the boat out alone on Lake Michigan. Waves splashed over the bow, and the wind blew spray in my excited face. I was a 10-year-old boy alone on the sea. I was Captain Hook, Blackbeard, and Sir Francis Drake all rolled into one. Would you really want it? Any other way? When we imagine hearing God, we picture him giving us guidance. A lecture of sorts. But what if God wants to converse with us more than he wants to direct or advise? Jesus once said, If you earthly fathers who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good things to those who ask him? Of all our fondest memories of our dads, how many of them are times when they lectured? My dad made lots of mistakes, but he also did tons of things right. My fondest memories of him are of conversations, discussions around the table, phone calls, and sailing. Of course, he gave advice, and occasionally, albeit rarely, I even asked for it. But dad always loved the discussion. If our best memories of our earthly fathers are of conversations rather than sermons, why do we think our Heavenly Father, who is better than the best father on earth, mostly wants to lecture us? 
Will not our Heavenly Father give good things to us when we ask? We think we need step-by-step guidance, but mostly we need conversation. And really, why would we want it any other way? My dad instructed me in sailing, but I never felt our sailing trips were classroom instructions. Remember, my dad's sailing instructions probably totaled only one or two hours. The directions did come, let out the sail a bit, I see a squall coming. But they were gusts in the winds of conversations, exclamation marks in the midst of chapters. My ability to sail grew through those persistent conversations, sometimes boring, sometimes exciting. My dad and I went through life on the water together, and it was that simple life together that taught me to navigate. He never once used a whiteboard, flip chart, or PowerPoint to abstractly teach me seamanship. He taught me through a shared everyday life on the waves. On our trips together, I'd make mistakes, as would he, and the boat would capsize. We'd write it together, laugh most of the time, and drag our soaking wet bodies back on board to match our wits against the wind and waves once more. Through storms and stillness, capsizes and conversations, I learned to sail. Dad's guidance was present, but mostly unnoticed. Within a year, at 11 years of age, I was sailing the Great Lakes solo, beyond the sight of land, amidst the wakes of freighters, capsizing, writing, laughing, and testing my strength and courage. Even now, when I sail as an adult, My father's conversational guidance is with me when I face a squall. Just be yourself. When I was in high school, I was attracted to a beautiful girl whose family was very different from mine. Her dad was a musicology professor at a state university. My dad was a preacher at a small church. Her family visited art museums. My family visited movie theaters. Her family played Scrabble. My family played Parcheesi. Her family talked philosophy. My family talked theology. I asked her out on a date, and to my surprise, she agreed. She was charitable as well as attractive. So I asked my mom how to talk with this daunting intellectual beauty. My mom suggested I be myself. I hate it when someone tells me to be myself. I'm never less myself than when I'm trying to be myself. It's like telling me to stop being self-conscious. I wasn't self-conscious until you told me to stop it, and now all I think about is my self-consciousness. Seeing the suspicion on my face, my mom explained how to make connections through good conversations. She said they are like tennis practice, an easy back and forth, equal time split between listening to the other person's interests and sharing our own. Mom suggested I ask questions like, what do you like about art? And what's it like to grow up in a professor's house? But she also suggested I talk about my interests, snow skiing, sailing, camping, history, and novels. Mom said one-way conversations aren't nearly as fun as two-way conversations. No one likes a constant lecturer. No one wants a silent partner either, except the constant lecturer. 
I took half of my mom's advice. I asked my date about her interests, but I shared very little about my own. We went to the art museum together, and we went to the symphony together, and pretty soon it was clear that we were going nowhere together. When it was all over, and it was over almost before it started, the girl and I remained friends, and I asked her what had gone wrong. She said I was boring. Oh, she was polite about it. I had to extract it from her with needle-nose pliers. But there it was. I was a yawn. She knew I skied, sailed, and read books. But I offered very little about myself. I learned from her about art and music, but she learned nothing from me. She wanted a two-way relationship with a friend, not a one-way relationship with a pupil. I had ignored my mom's advice, but she was used to me ignoring her advice, so it didn't damage my relationship with her. She said I was just being myself. The way to converse with God is just be yourself. It's actually much easier to be yourself with God than with normal people because God already knows us. We need not hide our mortifying moments. We can't surprise him. With new acquaintances, we feel reluctant to share our deepest shames because we fear their rejection. But God already knows our fears and shames. He isn't rejecting. He is listening. God simply wants conversation. Friendship is built on communication. The nature of my relationship with my wife, Carla, is primarily that of friendship. And friendship is built on communication. Several times a day, we just talk. We discuss things that happened since our last discussion. We talk about what we felt, what we learned, or what we've seen. Our conversations lack agendas. They meander like a mountain path, much of the time without a point. Because conversation itself is the point. When I come back from speaking at a retreat, I'll share with Carla what talks were given, or what I liked, or what I didn't like about them, how they touched me, how they were presented, how my bed was lumpy and so was the food, who I met and a bit of their story, and why I'm so glad I no longer travel for a living. It's perfectly ordinary for you and me to talk about normal stuff with our friends. So why not with God? He isn't less of a person. He's more of a person. He isn't less interested. He's more interested. And he has a better attention span. I try to have prayer time most mornings, but I find that many of my best conversations with God occur sporadically throughout the day. When I'm driving home from an appointment, waiting in line at the supermarket, or thinking of how to express a point in my next blog. I say things like, I'm tired. I feel like I'm going and going and getting nowhere. Or, God, that lunch appointment really flopped. I said something stupid. Why did I do that? Or, Father, I loved giving that talk on friendship last week. I want to do that again. As I read a roadside billboard with the Nike slogan, Just Do It, I wonder, God, do you want me to do something that I fear? Or is this just a temptation to forget my resolution and just give in? Yes, it's easier to be yourself with God because you can't surprise him with your faults. But it's also harder because he's, well, he's God. 
Many of us grew up in a religious culture where formalized language was used in talking with God. You know, these and thous and which art in heavens. When asking for help, we say, I pray thee, instead of, God, I'm dying of loneliness. I need you so much. It feels disrespectful, maybe even presumptuous, to talk with God like we talk with a friend. But God is the one who told us to call him Father and friend. Isn't it more presumptuous of us to ignore the way he tells us to talk with him? We may like the formality, but he often asks for informality. Years ago, I saw a picture of John F. Kennedy Jr. peeking out from beneath the desk of his father, the president. The image perfectly captures the relationship we should have with our father. The president doing his duties in the White House still has time for his son to play at his feet. No these or thous, just the president enjoying his son being with himself. Guidance will come. Just as my earthly father gave me little sailing tips in the midst of talking about what we should cook for dinner, God also speaks guidance as we share with him how well or poorly our day has gone. For instance, I hadn't originally included this chapter, conversation is the point. Then one day, I was talking with God about how fun it had been to give a talk on friendship. I felt a nudge, just a slight resonance, from him to write about conversations. His nudge even renamed this book. On the drive home from meeting with someone overcome with shame, I told God of that conversation. I felt the prod from him to explore how he can turn even shame into hope. During a normal prayer time, actually, it was kind of dry, I sensed God suggesting that I sell my business and begin full-time ministry. I picked myself up, dusted myself off, and pretended it never happened. But God persisted, and soon I could ignore him no longer. And now here I am. Each of these stories varies widely by the method and moment of God speaking, but there is one common element. I wasn't looking for guidance in any of them. I was just casually talking with God, and unexpectedly I felt him say, let out the sail, I see a gust coming. And then we went back to sailing. My editor once wrote me, it's odd how when I seek him for guidance, heaven seems silent. But when I seek him for his companionship, guidance comes unsought. It's just like that. The best relationship with God is conversational. Yes, he wants our petitions and our praises, but mostly he just wants to talk with us. Don't worry, he'll always provide the guidance we need as well. But mostly we need a conversational relationship with him. All that we know of Adam and Eve's relationship with God is that he walked with them in the cool of the day, which is a Hebrew metaphor for God having a conversation with friends. God's repertoire is limitless. When Dad and I sailed, our discussion topics covered the waterfront. Sometimes he would ask why I liked mystery so much, and other times we would talk about why he had been quiet at dinner. Sometimes he'd suggest we adventure out beyond the sight of land, and other times he'd tell me to turn back to shore. 
We talked about friendship, humor, sermons, hobbies, likes and dislikes, and what to have for dinner. The depth of our relational connection was reflected in the breadth of our conversational topics. A high school friend of mine had a limited topical repertoire, the bass guitar. He could turn any discussion, be it about fights with siblings or which movie to watch, into conversations about the best bass guitar strings to buy. Over time, that friendship stagnated. I wanted to talk about dreams, fears, and the future. He only wanted to chat about the best frets for bass riffs. Some people only want to hear God's words of love, while others only want his words of truth. Maybe it's our personality or upbringing. But letting our nature or nurture restrict God's voice also limits our capacity for deep friendship. Like that friend of yours who dominates discussions with news about their babies or bass guitars, we can only go so deep or maybe just go to sleep. God speaks about both love and truth, of course, but through his love, he'll open our eyes to the anchors that hold us down and the chains that hold us back. His subject repertoire is endless. To talk with God in conversation means that we learn to recognize him speaking into every possible nook and cranny of our lives. Conviction. Shortly after David committed adultery and murder, the prophet Nathan told him of a rich man who had stolen a poor man's lamb. Outraged by the injustice, David exploded in anger. Nathan then declared, Thou art the man. Second Samuel 12.7, the venerable King James says it best. David's resulting song of repentance in Psalm 51 has convicted and freed millions of believers ever since. We know many of our faults. Our friends have been telling us about them for years. But sometimes God needs to put his finger on those sore spots and gently push until we feel their pain. Only the God of grace can set us free through the very process of convicting us. Insight. We can read the same passage a hundred times and think we've got its topic mastered. Then out of the blue, God gives us a fresh insight into how the passage applies to yet another area of our life. I recently wrestled with a problem on my website. After several hours, I fixed it. And then I read the passage in John 15 about abiding in Christ. I sense God's insight into how I abide in him in my weakness, or at least I try to. Yet in an area where I have expertise, I still rest in my skills. Revelation. We are blind to our culture's influence on our lives. An extended stay in France reveals French culture, but we also see our own culture anew. In a similar fashion, sometimes God needs to take us on a trip outside ourselves to recognize the unbiblical culture within us. God has recently taken me on an extended stay, not into another continent, but to another time. As I studied Thomas Akempis' Imitation of Christ, I am amazed at God's revelation of how Western culture has infected me with its solutions to everyday life.
the self-esteem and self-love movements, and my culture's rejection of shame without self-examination. Daily guidance. We look for guidance in the major areas of our lives, whom to marry or which career will suit us best. But God doesn't just guide us in those defining moments, which are relatively infrequent. He also gives ongoing guidance for our everyday affairs. While wrestling how to write this section above on conviction in a way that I would bring renewed life, not condemnation, I stepped outside for a break. I saw my wife spreading mulch, and I sensed the tiniest nudge from God to lay aside the laptop and help lay cedar chips. God gave me an illustration of his guidance, and more importantly, he helped me care for my wife. His love. We've read of God's love. We've heard it preached in a hundred sermons, and we believe it. Yet he continues to reinforce that message. Every word I hear from him, from conviction of sin, to revelation of culture's creep, to insight into my self-reliance, is also filled with reminders of his love. From the first moment of sin, when God decided not to bulldoze the world and start again, he set his plan in place to win back the world through his love. The tree of Golgotha was planted in the Garden of Eden that day. And ever since, God has been speaking his love for his people. That knowledge is what we most need. As John Donne summed it up, Take me to you, imprison me, for I, except you enthrall me, never shall be free, nor ever chaste, except you ravish me. In the process of revealing his love for us, God also talks with us about our exhaustions and joys, about repenting to friends, about the books we love, and the commercials we hate, about how to deal with an unscrupulous boss and how to stop being an unfair boss. He even loves to talk about the best electronic pickups for our bass guitar. He just wants a conversation. <laughs>